This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Welcome to Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson tonight. Big night, big week. It's Derby week. It's rivalry week, which is hard to say. We've got the Blue Meanies coming across the river, waiting across the river. Hopefully, they'll be able to find Red Bull Arena on Sunday at 7 for the first of the New York Derby, Hudson Derby, Your Name Here Derby. Tonight on Seeing Red, we're going to talk about New York's first loss of the season at New England last week. We're going to give our bull and cow the week because that's the way we roll. We're going to talk about injured players. We're going to talk about reports of discovery claims on World Cup stars. We're going to preview... NYCFC. I said it, Dave. Coming to Red Bull Arena. Who's Dave? It was. Well, I know you're not Dave. I'm just saying. I, Dave makes a point of. You know, I, Dave might be listening somewhere in the ether. Oh, that'd be funny. Um, we've got two great guests tonight. Hey, we've got Red Bulls defender Chris Duval making his second appearance on Seeing Red, and on top of that, we we decided we would bring the respectable media in. We've got Andrew Das, soccer editor at the New York Times, small community newspaper to talk to us about what does it all mean. And we have your emails and a call as well. So big big show, super-sized show for a big week for the Red Bulls. Dan Dickinson, how are you tonight? I'm doing all right, sir. Uh, Getting ready. uh, Got my fill of banter in on Twitter already, and it's only Thursday night. And uh, looking forward to the weekend. So much banter. Healthy banter. How can I hold all of this banter? I, we, there's only one way to do that, and that's to, to, to have a show that we can talk or about. So drill a hole in your head. One of the two. Hopefully the former. New York goes to New England. They've won once there since 2002. They give up an early goal for the fourth time in five games. They go down 2-0. An experimental lineup, you, you might say. Uh, certainly a little bit of a different lineup, giving some of the uh, traditional starters a bit of rest. New York gets one back. They get a few chances to tie the game, and it doesn't go their way. It's their first loss of the season in eight tries, and I don't think too many folks are undone about the loss. Just really curious to see who got to play and how long they got to play. Can we talk a little bit about the lineup choices? Sure. I mean, it was definitely not looking like a first-choice lineup. You've got, you know, Grella up top and... Sean Davis and Dan Richards in midfield, and uh, Carl Uemet making, I think, what was his debut? Um, yes. And uh, Connor Laid returning to the yes. after so long away. So, yes. Um, it, it, it definitely was not first choice by any stretch. And, you know, I, I think after a three-game week, because they had L.A. on Sunday and they had Colorado midweek, um, you were going to have to see some rotation. And I don't think the team performed badly. I mean, obviously the result didn't go their way, but, um, you know, they were in the game and it, it could have happened. But New England's gotten good this year, as they did last year, and respect to them. Yeah, no, certainly respect to them. The, the, this team played well. Connor Laid, I thought, uh, acquitted himself well. Nice to see Sean Davis getting some quality minutes. He played about an hour. And uh, then you had... Bradley come in late, and um, you had uh, Lloyd Sam come in, played played the last half hour, and you had a bomb come off the bench. I mean, 
the story of at least this little three-game slide, and I guess you can call it a slide when you haven't won in three games all in the span of of seven days. They've really kind of had a poor week. But the, the real key with this team has been converting chances, or so it seemed. It seemed like... Uh, the first two-thirds of the field, they are doing very well, and, and for whatever reason, whether it's Bradley being a wee bit off or other players getting looks and not converting, that seems to be at least what I'm seeing over the last little while. But again, uh, great for Connor Laid to get a, a, a quality quality appearance with the team, his first in a very long time. You know, you'd, you'd certainly like your forward to get more than two shots off for the entire game, and uh, and that was certainly the case with Grella, although he did assist on Sasha Kleschen's goal. So, you know, it, it, a, a good contingent of Red Bull fans, as always, made a trip up to New England. You would have liked to see them come away with at least a point. Uh, New England, as you had said, uh, Dan, is, is the class of the East, along with D.C. United. And after a week without a win, New York kind of tumbles a bit in the power rankings and all that good stuff. Of course... That can all change with a big, uh, a big win this weekend. So that said, a 2-1 loss, tired legs, uh, reserve players coming in and playing. And so, your uh, do you have a bowl for the match? Uh, I unfortunately didn't get to watch enough of the match, so I'm going to go with the crowd consensus off of the the Facebook page and go with Kamar Lawrence. Yeah, I, I wish, uh, to be honest, folks, that I had an opportunity to sit down and watch the entire match. I, I was uh, away for the weekend as well, so uh, I think that's fine. And then I'm going to give it to, to, to Taxi as well as the contingent of traveling fans. So uh, good job. And do you have a cow on a night when perhaps the, the whole match was not consumed? Well, uh, it, it sounded like uh, Dax's giveaway was the key to the the second goal coming along. So uh, I, I will again go with the crowd and give it to our captain. Dax has not played super well. I'm not saying it, and that's a bit of a stretch. Dax has made a number of mistakes that over the last couple of games have gone a bit unpunished, and New England punished Dax for his mistakes. So I think that's totally fine. Dax McCarty, sorry, buddy. We love you. We do. We love you on Seeing Red. It's a ginger cow. A ginger cow. Strawberry milk for uh, for our, our cow of the week. So... Um, the word came, I think it was Tuesday afternoon, just in time for the uh, Red Bulls signing session at the Adidas store on Broadway, that Sal Zizo, one half of the Grizzo, is going to be out two to three months uh, due to an injury he sustained in practice. R.I.P. Grizzo, R.I.P. I think it's a little too soon to say R.I. Well, I mean, we can't say Grizzo, and they're not going to be able to platoon on the left if uh, one of them never makes the bench for three months. Uh, I mean, it's a shame. Sal, Sal has looked reasonably good uh, on the left, and, uh, you know, nobody likes to see players get injured and, and be out for that long, so all the best to him. And so now it really begs the question, what what can be done here? What can be done to plug this hole? I mean, is the answer shifting Grella, uh, rather <laughs> shifting Grella, is the answer shifting Grella to the bench, playing Sasha on the left, and perhaps having young Sean Davis uh, taking the mantle of young Mike Miazga and playing him in the in the uh, rear of the defense next to Dax? Are we going to see something like I that? I mean, it, it's certainly an option. Uh, you could just switch Grella back to the left and play Bradley again, maybe? I don't know. Um, you know, and uh, I, I will say that having gotten to watch the Red Bulls 2 game over the weekend, yes, uh, 
a, a certain Manolo Sanchez may be worth a look as well because he was outstanding during that game. Against uh, well, who did they play the this Pittsburgh weekend? Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Okay, yeah. so right, I know that I know they they had a last minute victory, right? There was a last second goal in that yep. match. Uh, that, well, actually, there were almost two last second goals because the the Baby Bulls scored one, and then Pittsburgh nearly came down to the other end and, and punched in a third to level it late. But um, it was an exciting match, and if people haven't watched it, uh, definitely go watch it on YouTube. Preferably the one without my commentary. Yes, Dan Dickinson debuted as a color commentary on that match, so I definitely should go watch it with his commentary for please sure. Don't. So I'm not please, for your headache. Oh, please do, please do. So uh, before we preview this week's game, of course we have to mention young Mike Miazga, proudly, um, appropriately, and expectedly was named to Tab Ramos's under-20 National World Cup team that will be playing in the under-20 World Cup in New Zealand this summer. So Miazga will be sure to miss a bunch of matches for the Red Bulls. Um, of course, there was news on the Discovery signing front, a Discovery claim, and folks, a Discovery claim is what happens when a team wants to go out and say, I've got dibs on a player outside all of MLS's 18-player acquisition routes. It's uh, usually a foreign player, maybe a, B, a DP, maybe not. But in this case, uh, a discovery claim was put on uh, Ghana's Kevin Prince Boateng, raising speculation that Boateng will, in fact, come over to the Red Bulls during the transfer window. Your thoughts on the Prince... Winding up in a Red Bull uniform. I mean, it, it, as a potential signing, that, that sounds pretty good. You uh, you put him in the center behind Bradley. You shove Shasha over on the left. You fix your left wing problem we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You keep Lloyd on the right and uh, Felipe and Dax behind him. That's, that's an even more potent midfield than we've been seeing. For those that you might not be aware of Boateng, this is not the Boateng that got destroyed by Lionel Messi the other day in the Champions That's League. The Jerome Boateng. Yes, Jerome. We hardly knew you. Kevin Prince Boateng uh, currently plays at Schalke. He has six goals and 45 appearances at Schalke. Before that, three years at Milan, 10 goals and 74 appearances. He is a central attacking midfielder. He can certainly put the ball on the net and would definitely make what is a very good midfield for New York much, much better. So just because Boateng was claimed by a dis- uh, made a discovery claim, the Red Bulls did, doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to wind up here. But I think it's the first signal that silly season is definitely um, starting in earnest it, for MLS. It is fast approaching. And Mark, before we go on, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. And I'm going to defend yes. the league. Because okay. you just said there are 18 uh, player acquisition mechanisms. Yes. And to the league's credit, with a yes. very silly press conference at the last minute last week on Friday, when they unveiled the new roster rules, they, they have actually simplified it. And whether or not they hold up to it, we'll see. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to do it. But officially now, outside of homegrown draft picky sorts of things, which we're always on the side anyhow, there's only two ways to get a player. They're either on the list the league printed, and those players go through allocation, and those are the only players that go through allocation, or it's discovered. There's nothing else. That's it. And if the league can actually hold to that, I think things will get much clearer for people, but it's MLS, so who knows. Okay. 
I stand corrected. Nevertheless, it would be very, very exciting to see a player of Boateng's quality in MLS and obviously with the Red Bulls this season. So, you've been waiting patiently, Red Bulls fans, for us to talk about the blue team. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the day is finally here. The first derby or derby or rivalry or series or match against Don G's uh, shadow baby, NYCFC. Let's talk about this club, shall we? NYCFC has won one of its first nine games, which for an expansion team is probably apropos. They are currently tied for eighth in the MLS East, and if it wasn't for Montreal, uh, they would be dead last in the league along with Philadelphia. They're 18th in MLS. They've scored six goals in those nine games. They've allowed ten goals in nine, and they've only scored two goals away from their fortress of Yankee Stadium, which is in the Bronx, in New York City, in case you haven't heard. New York City FC is on a seven-match winless streak since their lone win 2 nothing at home against New England on March 15th. Interesting to note that all of the losses have been by only one goal, except for last week's 3 nothing, excuse me, 3-1 home loss to the Seattle Sounders, who are playing very, very good ball. On the road, so far, two draws at Orlando in the opening uh, game of the club's history and at Colorado. They have also two losses to Philadelphia. I just want to explain something, folks. If you lose to Philadelphia, you are not a good Major League Soccer team right now. Mark, I, I, I hate to correct you on blue team record, but they've lost to Philadelphia once on the road. They tied them at home. Yes, no, I'm just talking about road Okay, okay. Just talking I about will, red records. I will close my Thank mouth you, again, sorry. Thank you, Professor. They've also lost at the Chicago Fire. Only four players on the New York Blue roster have scored. David Villa, might have heard of him, two goals so far in the season. Former Metro, Many Bellucci, has two goals for this team. And two of them, both of their the goals, have been really actually quite well taken. So... Uh, Medi Bellucci has dropped the mop top. I assume he has a visa that allows him to travel to Canada at this point. And uh, nevertheless, two goals by Bellucci. Uh, Mullins, Patrick Mullins, a former Rev, who have, of course uh, scored in MLS Cup last year, has a goal. And Mix Discarud, he of the Flowing Locks, has a single goal that was scored on opening day. Uh, guys that uh, deliver assists here, Grabovoy has two former RSL player, Villa, Villa Mullins and draft pick Kerry Shelton have an assist. Uh, in the net, of course, we know someone that can't play, and that's uh, our own <clears throat> Ryan Mara, who has allowed a single goal in one game. That goal was an absolute howler on the road to Chicago, which wound up being the only goal of the game. Uh, Mara stood on his head for the rest of that game and actually played phenomenally, but it's that one goal uh, conceded that, that made all the highlight reels, or lowlight reels, if you will. Josh Saunders, former LA Galaxy, one, four, and three. Two shutouts of 1.13 goals against. Uh, this team does not concede a lot of goals, folks. However, they will be without Watson Sirabo on Sunday, who's one of their starting defenders who picked up two yellow cards in the Seattle match. So the question is, who perhaps starts on the back line? Maybe Josh Williams, 
from uh, Columbus, hasn't played in three matches. Also, Jason Hernandez, former Metro, hasn't played in New York's uh, New York Blues' last three matches. Perhaps Chris Wingert shifts to the middle, and Jason Hernandez plays on the wing. Uh, other players of note that get a lot of starts, Shea Facey out of England, uh, Jeb Brofsky, he of the former Jebi Knight fans, from Montreal is playing with his team. Of course, mixed discord grab of why we mentioned. Pablo Alvarez, 34-year-old Spaniard, is uh, places himself in the midfield, and then uh, it'll be Villa or Patrick Mullins. So they often say, Dan, when you're talking about an important regular season game, obviously uh, the folks in the Bronx have had this match on their calendar since everything started. Lord knows the league has had this on their calendar since uh, Don G thought up this whole mess. So what are you expecting, A, out of the crowd, and B, out of the game, Sunday night at 7 p.m. at Red Bull Arena? Well, let's start with the game. Um, I'm expecting it to be more even than it probably sounds from the record, because NYCFC have not exactly been blown out of any of these games outside of the Seattle one. Um, They're generally in it. They, They cannot shoot on target to save their lives. Um, but, you know, they're generally doing an okay job getting the ball forward and, and creating these chances. They just can't, can't finish. Uh, it's, it's really bizarre. Um, their defense is quite shaky. And if the Red Bulls' offense was a, a little bit more in tune right now and, and scoring goals in buckets on their own, I'd, I might be a little bit more confident about this being lopsided. But, uh, you know, we've seen the team struggle uh, over the last week to find the back of the net as well. So I think it'll be a good match. I think there will be some intensity on the field. It's not going to be DC level of hate um, right out the bat, but it'll be fun. And I think the crowd will contribute a lot to that. I think it will probably be sold out. Uh, you know, there's still a few lingering tickets left, uh, according to Ticketmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It will be loud. I think both sets of supporters will be bringing the noise, although uh, who knows what the songbook looks like up in 220. I think it'll probably be something like N-Y-C clap. clap. Or you play in New Jersey, to which everyone in the stadium will actually understand that, being that they'll be in New Jersey at the time. I don't know. Geography is confusing, Mark, especially Mm -hmm. when you're in a soccer stadium. Yes, Um, an an enclosed one, yes. So I I think it's going to be a memorable match. Um, You know, it, it... it's only going to happen once for the first time, so uh, if you can make it out to the game, I recommend doing so. Yes, we know it'll be Mother's Day. The weather, it's going to be hot, folks. Uh, they're calling for a high in the mid-80s during the day, and yes, it will start to cool off, certainly, um, towards the evening. There is also a pretty decent chance of rain. So, And so if mom feels like coming, or your significant other and the mother of your children feel like spending their... Mother's Day Eve at Red Bull Arena. It certainly will be memorable. 1,500 Third Rail members will be in attendance in the upper deck. I believe that's two sections full of them. Um, Whether they have their song sheets or not remains to be seen. Uh, I I can't wait for the first crud reference. I think that will be uh, really, really enjoyable. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm curious what you think about this, how many, what percentage of the house will be red versus blue? Because obviously there'll be NYCFC fans that are not members of the third rail in the house. I think it'll probably be about a 70-30 split for the home side. 
Um, mm. You know, if getting to New Jersey is the worst thing in the world, as plenty of NYCFC fans have espoused over the week, um, you know, but why why would they all be coming out for this? I mean, it's New yep. Jersey. So I, I, right. I think there'll be a good contingent, and I think they'll be spread out all over the stadium. It's not just the 1500 in the upper deck. Um, but, you know, I, I still think it will predominantly be Red Bull fans. All right. Good to know. I mean, this this has its first feel of of Rangers Devils, I have to tell you. And it'll be interesting to see just how many Red Bull fans show up to this game. Um, we we both know and our listeners know the stadium has not exactly been full, although historically based on tickets sold and distributed numbers, they are doing quite well. The no-show rate this season has been pretty significant, and it really makes you wonder. I believe there's only less than 1,000 tickets for sale on StubHub, but it really makes you wonder if these Red Bull season ticket holders have truly given up, because if there's one uh, night to be there, as you said, it, it only gets to be the first one once, and you would hope that everyone can get there. Now, I know a lot of our listeners um, do have family commitments that will not permit them to go. We encourage you to find someone that will wear red and do it. And and uh, regarding wearing red, the team has actually sent communications out asking fans to wear red at the game. Of course, the fact that they don't actually make a red jersey makes that a little bit challenging. But nevertheless, uh, if you have an article of red clothing, and Lord knows this team has uh, produced enough fan gear, please wear it to the stadium. And please prepare to be loud. And if you are sitting near the third rail up in the second deck, uh, my apologies in advance. So, that all said, sir, your prediction for the first Hudson River New York Derby. Uh, didn't you hear Grant Wall wants to call it the Classico? Uh, that's, that's great, Grant. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go 3-1 home team. Well, that's just rude, because that's what I was thinking as well. So, of course, both of us predicting 3-1 means it'll probably be the uh, switch will be flipped and New York will lose for nothing and we will never hear the end of it. I'll change it to 3-2. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dan Dickinson calls it 3-2. I call it 3-1. When we're back on Seeing Red, we have defender number 25 of the New York Red Bulls, Chris Duval. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. It's Derby Week. In case you weren't aware, one man who knows quite a bit about it is uh, our first guest tonight. Was drafted from Wake Forest University, 22nd overall in the 2014 Super Draft. He has 26 appearances under his belt in a season a little bit more, and that's right back Chris Duvall. How are you tonight, Chris? I'm doing well, doing well. Glad to, uh, glad to be on with you guys. Uh, well, we enjoyed having you so much last year, and it's, it's a great pleasure to speak to you again. Uh, obviously, a team never likes to lose their first loss of the year this past weekend in New England. Is there a certain amount of pressure off of you guys now? Um, a little bit of expectation has that been relieved with the loss? Like you can kind of get on with it, or were you guys um, pretty undone about what happened up there? No, we're definitely. I mean, we're definitely not. Uh, you know, lingering on that. We're, we're over it, and you know, we're moving ahead to the big game this weekend. And uh, and I wouldn't say that it's taking pressure off us, but we all knew that 
an undefeated season was pretty improbable. So, um, you know, it's it's never easy to lose, and it's never something that we enjoy, and especially to a level like New England. But you know, we we knew that uh, it would be tough to to keep the streak alive, but we're just gonna keep pushing, and you know, we're gonna take it week by week and get a win this weekend. Chris, you've been playing pretty pretty well this season, and uh, after the San Jose game, uh, somebody asked Jesse in the post match press conference about you, and he said. Uh, a number of things, including he's got great qualities as a player and he's got great qualities as a young man. And I haven't seen too many right backs who have been playing better than him around the league. Um, we're only about a third of the way through this year, but how do you think you're doing? Yeah, well, I mean, it's great to hear something like that from my coach and, uh, you know, to have, have him and have him supporting me. And it's something that, you know, I hear him say to me often, you know, just dealing with him every day. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of belief in not just me, but uh, all the rest of the guys on the team. So, you know, I, I've been uh, pushing. I've been pushing just like all the guys on the team, trying to get better and, and do the best that I can to, to get us some wins on the field and to be the best player I can be for this group of guys. And, you know, I think so far it's gone well, but uh, it'll only get better. You know, it's it's not enough. And, you know, we're all looking to, to be the best we can be to, to bring home some hardware. So, you know, there's, there's more to come. Chris, you uh, were on the bench for the entirety of the game in New England after going the full 97 matches in a row to start the season, and the team didn't lose. I'm sensing maybe an interesting coincidence here. Uh, when did you find out during the week that you wouldn't be playing, and how was that delivered to you, and uh, how was that presented to you? Are you? Do you think you're going to be in a dogfight now in training for your starting role each week? Well, Jesse was very upfront with me um, from the beginning. You know, we had three games in seven days, and it was a really tough spot for for any player to, you know, on their bodies to do three games in seven days, full 90. So, you know, um, he told me that he was going to give me a rest, and, you know, I was very appreciative of it, uh, you know, to, to get some time to get my body back on and, and be prepared for the next game. And so it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a surprise, and, you know, it wasn't something I was upset about, so... You know, going forward, you know, nothing, nothing's going to change for me personally. You know, I'm just going to keep putting my head down and working in practice. And, you know, if, if the coach decides to put me on the field, then I'll be happy with that. And if not, then, you know, that's something that uh, is just his decision for that's best for the team. All right. Let, let's stop looking at the past and uh, move on to the, the main event, I suppose. Um, Chris, what's practice been like this week with what seems to be a rather anticipated match looming ahead? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, practice has been good. You know, we've got a lot of passion and a lot of fire. Uh, we make sure that, that practice is extremely competitive. So, you know, I think uh, leading up to this game, you know, coming off our first loss and, you know, a week of training, which, you know, we didn't get last week. We had three games. So I think, uh, you know, I think we're all rearing and ready to go. We've got, uh, you know, we've had a week to, to look at this game and it's going to be an exciting one for us. Chris, has there been talk among the team about what Sunday will mean in the locker room? I mean, obviously, it's it's really a first. And have you played in these kind of big rivalry games before? Maybe in college, in your ACC days, or is it? How are you going to get take it to the next level? Because you've got a lot of fans on both sides that are going to want to capture that first match. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't think there is anything in college that can compare to this. You know. Uh, 
whether it's you know at Wake Forest blanking someone like uh, UNC or Duke, you know that's it's not the same scale as playing against you know a DC United or or New York City SC. And so I think to get this first uh, first game of a new born rivalry under our belts, I think it's going to be exciting. And you know more than anything, I think it's going to be a battle. You know we're we're fighting on our home ground um, in a city that you know we're we're sharing with them. So. You know, I think it's going to be it's a big it's a big game, and we know that. And you know, despite the other rivalries that we have, this is going to be a big one. And I think it's going to be important for us to get the first win. And, and Chris, along those lines, have you gotten a chance to watch them play at all, whether it's on tape or on days where you guys aren't playing? Uh, what, what's your perception of the opposition so far this season? Yeah, I definitely uh, you know try to be a student of the game. So I watch you know all the teams around the league and. A lot of teams around the world, and so I've, I've definitely gotten a chance to see them play. And you know, it's something that uh, you know it's been a joy. I've seen some great goals from them, and you know, there's a lot of great players on their team, and you know, they're a team that I think you know we'll definitely respect. But you know, nothing's going to change from our end. You know, we're going to go out and battle and put them under pressure and try to make it uncomfortable. And I think that's something that, regardless of what team we're playing, we can succeed with. Chris, how do you begin to start to manage a player like David Villa, who scored so many important goals at the absolute highest levels? I guess it's a similar question that we would ask opposing players getting ready to deal with Terry Henry last year. But what 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 can you do to make sure that he doesn't hurt you? Yeah, it's definitely a, a similar scenario that I'm sure a lot of teams face playing against Terry. Um, you know, with, with great players like that, it's just a matter of being tuned in and, and being aware. Um, you know, we're going to keep to our game plan and put them under pressure and try to make them uncomfortable and put them in scenarios that are tough for, tough for them. But while we're doing that, we also have to have in our minds, you know, an awareness of where Zavavia is and, and how to keep him covered and make sure he doesn't have space on the ball because regardless of, you know, where you've been or, or what you're doing, if we put pressure on the ball, then it's it's tough for any player. So, you know, we just have to manage the things that he can do and, and do the best we can to to keep him quiet. Chris, before we let you go, um, how's your relationship with Lloyd Sam coming along? You know, playing a high press, you've, you've got to have a good connection between the wingbacks and the, the midfielders. And so how have you guys been working on that? Yeah, I think uh, just – Practicing the system every day is something that definitely helps our relationship. You know, him, you know, if he steps to put pressure, just having him know that I'm behind him and coming with him, you know, it gives us some confidence because, you know, he, he knows that, that we have that. We have, you know, something going that he, he can trust that I'm with him and so he doesn't have to hesitate when he goes. And I think that's a big thing because then everything else kind of comes together. Once we're together defensively, then I think the rest kind of falls in place. You know, it's it's not too hard to have good chemistry with Lloyd Sam with all the great things he does on the ball. So, um, you know, just just making sure that I'm with him defensively, it does a lot. Chris Duvall wears number 25 for the New York Red Bulls. Chris, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I hope we'll catch you uh, as the season moves on and towards the playoffs, and I can speak for all red New York fans that are wishing you all the best and three points on Sunday. Uh, Thank you, guys. Let's uh, keep New York red. Absolutely. We've got more guests coming up after this. It's Seeing Red at Backheel.com. (laughs) 
You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Hey, we're back. Super-sized Seeing Red, Derby Week edition. Dan Dickinson, Mark Fishkin. Dave Martinez is elsewhere. He's in Seeing Red detention. Maybe next week. <laughs> it's always great to have a first-time guest on Seeing Red, and when one is an imminent member of the New York sports and soccer press, it's even better. For the first time on Seeing Red, Andrew Doss of the New York Times. Andrew, what is your, t- what is your official title? Uh, Red Bull Agitator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if there was only enough to agitate, Andrew. Uh, why don't we start here? Um, you've been around this market for some time. What does it actually mean to the sports marketplace to have two teams in the market finally? I can't see any way that it hurts to have two teams. I think what we've learned in the first couple of months, at least, is that um, everything NYCFC done is found fans. I don't believe they're taking any anything away from Red Bull. So if it's, you're the, it's certainly not it's certainly not winning. Well, but. yeah, I mean, right, but I mean, they're drawing from a completely different uh, fan base. It seems a found fan base, I think. And so, if you're the league, and I know they are, you're thrilled because uh, you've just now found all these people. It, it almost makes you think if they could ever figure out a way to put a team on Long Island, you'd find 20,000 more every night. So. Well, this this may be the team that winds up playing on Long Island before all is said and done, but uh, or, I digress. Or nowhere. <laughs> right. Central Park. Right. Um, and so when you think about uh, the, the the two teams together have certainly created a lot more interest and certainly a lot more attention um, around the league. How do you think, where can MLS really fit in what I like to call the Euro snob capital of the United States? <laughs> it's always, always, always going to be hard in New York, especially, because New York considers itself smarter than everybody else. And um, and they're a little more worldly than everybody else. So in New York, I think uh, MLS suffers by comparison probably as much as anywhere the league has a team, uh, comparison to the other options. And, um, you know, the upside is uh, it also has more people to draw from. So it can carve out its own little niche. Uh, you know, the league, the, the league's around uh, 20 years after it started, and now has two teams. So you can't argue it can't work in New York, but um, it's never going to challenge, I don't think, for supremacy in New York. And it's never – I mean, we can, we can all honestly say that it's not going to challenge the big leagues that people watch on TV every weekend. So. Is, is MLS a major league sport in this city or in this country? I have this fight every couple of months when we refer to the four major sports in the New York Times, and I get an email uh, before I get to work the next day about <laughs> whether it is or it isn't. Is not a major sport? I, no, it's not a major sport. Is it a real, living, breathing, going concern? Absolutely. Can it survive that way for a while? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, they do have to grow, uh, and and in ways they are growing, and in ways they're right back where they started in terms of salary, size, and sal- and um, roster sizes and things. Uh, you, but Major League, it's hard to call a Major League 
with their TV numbers, um, with some of the other things. But as I like to tell everybody else, the soccer team we all, the soccer league we all watched 21 years ago didn't exist. There was nothing. So you can either have this, enjoy it, take what you want from it, and still watch your other teams, or you can whine about it 24 hours a day. And some people have chosen that. Isn't that what Twitter's for? <laughs> exactly. That is what Twitter's for. Uh, Twitter is so lovely. I wonder if MLS would have survived if Twitter had been around at its birth. That's if it could have taken question. the ridicule then that uh-huh. it takes now. Hey, Andy, have you put on your Don Garber hat and, and you were a commissioner for, let's say, a week? What, what would you do to fix it so that certain people would consider it a major sport in this country? That's a tough question. If I, you know, um, Don's got a tough job because uh, he's selling. Uh, he's got a very tough, difficult thing to sell. Let's put it that way. I think when you can consider Major League Soccer, Major League, when they start producing players that other countries want to buy, and and that's just not the case right now. Uh, and I told Don that. Um, I feel like, you know, I, the MLS transfer record. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is still Josie Altador's original yes. sale? Yes. Well, I mean, geez, that's ten years ago. We haven't produced a, the the league hasn't produced a single player worth that. Um, you know, I'm a big Ajax guy, and they sell you know fifty million dollars worth of players right, that's every what year. They do. Right. CSV yep. is probably going to sell eighty million dollars worth of players this summer. Yeah. Um, and that's one club in one league, which realistically MLS compares itself to. So, and meanwhile, MLS, you know, might sell a player for, you know, a million and a half. You know, when they produce players that people want to buy, then you'll really see the league making progress. Let's turn our attention to the the match on Sunday. Let's talk about what the Red Bulls have done right so far this season and, and not right. Uh, that uh, you've seen since uh, both on and off the field since the start of the year? Uh, since the start, I think uh, as painful it is, it, as it is, I think the thing the Red Bulls did right was tear the Band-Aid off right away. Uh, they were mm-hmm. in, a, in a spot where they were going to lose their two best, biggest-name players, and it was clearly going to be a transition year for somebody. So when you bring in a new guy to run the team, um, that was the moment where you do it. I mean, they could have chugged along and maybe it wouldn't have worked with Mike. And then you fire Mike in, in this winter, but now you've wasted a year. And right. uh, in an important year in the market with a new team coming. So I think the best move they made was, like I said, tearing the Band-Aid right off. I think Jesse showed up with an idea about what he wanted to do. I think the players he brought in uh, understood now clearly understand what he wants them to do. Um, is it sustainable for the long term with the collection of guys he has? Maybe not, but it doesn't have to be. It's working great right now. Uh, they've all clearly bought in, and when you talk to them, you, you hear it in their voices. So, uh, I, you know, they're off to a great start, uh, certainly off to a better start than the team across the river. And speaking of the team across the river, let's, ha- let's do the same question for the blue teams. What have they done Right, and, and what have they maybe not done so well? Well, I, that's 
that's a difficult job in its own sense. Uh, what have they done right? They've sold the team very well. Uh, people are showing up. Uh, a lot of people are showing up. Uh, you know, a new team has to hit the ground with something. I think they botched the Lampard thing pretty good, and I think even they would admit that. Um, but, you know, I the uh, mix were good signings. As long as they play, they're fine. And that team will get better. I mean, they're going to add a pretty good player in July. They're not going to get much worse. Let's well, just say that. Well, you know, the problem is they can't score. I yep. mean, they can't score any goals. So, right. Um, tough to win. You know, Jason's a good coach. People forget. You know, he's not just some dope that walked in off the street. I mean, Jason knows what he's doing. Now, it's a little difficult to run an expansion team. And they look like one right now. You know, if they'd scored maybe four or five extra goals, Maybe they'd have three, four extra wins right now, and it wouldn't be a big sure. deal. But the point is they can't put the ball in the net with the guys they have. And when Villa doesn't play, they can barely take a shot at the net. So uh, until they solve that, which is a very difficult thing to do, uh, until they solve that, it's not going to get better. I talked to Claudio about something the other day, and he said again that they're looking to add their third DP. He sounded as serious as he has ever sounded that they're going to go ahead and add the third DP this summer. And, and that's the kind of thing that they can do because it's just money to them. It's a real, it's all it is. I mean, real, well, they've, they've got it. No, seriously. I mean, they've got it to spare, right? Yes. So they don't care. Hey, you want to, you want to make a big splash in New York. You got to bring in people that people know. So, yeah. uh, now the Red Bulls did that for years and years and years and years. And, you know, with varying degrees of success, but they were at a moment this year where they had to decide, are we going to do that again, or are we going to try something else? And they're trying something else, and it's working for now. It may not work in the long term, who knows, but it's working for now. I mean, they're a fun team to watch, don't you agree? Uh, the Red Bulls, I think, have been a tremendously fun team to watch. I mean, watch. they just work so hard, and that's, I think, what most people wanted to see. So, Yeah, for sure. Um, what, what kind of attention do you think this match is going to get? I mean, the the team... Uh, th- it's been announced that they're going to have uh, the, the press box, in essence, is sold out. Mm-hmm. You're going to have uh, national and international press. I-, I would imagine you'll have the local press as well. Um, oh, yeah, I have my just... local press, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. So uh, I guess the question is, at a time when these two teams may be, by the time we get to Sunday two of the only four professional teams that are playing right now in their season, if the Rangers uh, fail right. on on Friday. Um, is there room in a very crowded sports media market to actually see uh, attention given to, th- to these guys? I-, I mean, beyond Monday's paper? Um, well, you know, I think you and I have talked privately about this before, too. It, it's I don't know what you mean. Um, it's difficult to give day-to-day coverage to MLS in this town. It just is. Um, Especially at my paper, I can speak for my paper. I don't know about everybody else. But um, so having a second team, there's a little more buzz this year. That's made my job selling it to my boss a little easier. Um, So, yeah, there's a little window there. There'll be another little uh, burst in July, uh, and then they'll play again after that. These two teams will play again after that. So, yeah, they've got a little momentum going, and it's good for the league. Um, It would help 
Uh, it would help if they both played well. It would help if maybe they put on a little bit better show from time to time, especially uptown. Um, but, yeah, you can well, – I've been around the league. I covered the Metro Stars in year one, and I've been around the league and um, in the MLS office in New York is a story I wrote uh, at the start of year three about whether the league was going to come back. And right. nobody writes those stories anymore. And anybody who's been around the league for a while remembers the days when every winter people wondered, well, is this the year? You know, is this the year? And uh, and nobody wonders whether the league's going to succeed anymore. So people's ambition, people's expectations of the league really need to be modest. Uh, you can't expect the league to fight head-to-head with, you know, the big, big European leagues or even the medium-sized European leagues. I think people need to temper their expectations of MLS, take out of it what they want, and uh, and enjoy it. You know, 20 years ago, you couldn't go to a game on a Saturday night in the summer because there was no league. Right, in a, in, a be- in a beautiful palace of a stadium. Exactly. I mean, Could... Red Bull Arena is a terrific place to go. And yeah. I'm ashamed it took me as long as it did to get there because um, – you know, whatever. I used to work nights and weekends, and I couldn't go. And and by the time I finally went, I couldn't believe it. What a terrific spot it is to watch a game. And I tell everybody I know, you should go once. Just go once. And yeah, it's not going to be Man U and Arsenal, but it's a it's a terrific place to watch a game. Let me ask you this: uh, We have the International Championship uh, Champions Cup coming mm-hmm. back. Uh, you know, Charlie Solitano's group is bringing the, the great teams of Europe and uh, and Mexico around. The Red Bulls will play Chelsea and Porto. They also will host another match. Are these games meaningful sampling opportunities for casual fans? Are there casual fans that that aren't aware that these teams are here in 2015? Because among the Red Bull faithful, there's a very uh, significant segment that really doesn't believe that these matches have any value whatsoever. And so I'm just kind of curious, you know, we're in year 10 or 15 of European preseasons in the U.S., barnstorming. Are these meaningful or valuable for the teams that participate? Uh, I don't. I, it depends what you're trying to get out of them. As competition, no. As um as exposure, you know, as a chance for your teams to play against the big team, yeah, I guess, but you're not playing. I mean, a summer friendly is a summer friendly. So, you know, you're going to go and you'll probably see 18 guys getting a game on the other side. It's not, you know, it, it might, they're valuable in the sense that it gives you a chance to see a really nice player like Ibra or whoever comes with Chelsea or whatever and you get a chance to see your guys run out against their guys. And that, and in that sense, it's fun. But, you know, Red Bull went to Arsenal a few years ago. How many years ago was that where they went to Arsenal and won that tournament? Four or five years ago? Right. It was when Henri first got here. And then, of course, they came back and returned the favor last year. Right. Exactly. So that's a fun, you know, it's a fun day. And if you look at it at that, it's a fun day. You get to see your guys. fun for the club to get a big team on their field and and – who is it fun for, though? I, I guess that's what I'm getting at. And just because, again, at a at a place, maybe the Galaxy think about it differently because they they win every freaking year. Yeah. But if you're talking about this team that has never managed to win the last game of the season, 
right, any distraction of any meaningful uh, chance to get to silverware is kind of viewed as uh, just that, a distraction. So I'm just kind of wondering, well, you know, are, these, the, are these of really a value to the club's participants? Well, how about this? How many Porto fans do you think have ever given a second thought to Red Bull? How many Chelsea fans do you think give a second thought to the New York Red Bull? I mean, so in, in the sense that it exposes your players and your club on a stage uh, in front of an audience that might not have any idea that the U.S. has a league, let alone teams, <laughs> let alone maybe a player who might do something interesting. Um, in that sense, it's good. If, you know, for a day you can feel like you're kind of selling your club and your league. I'm talking about the players here, but, yeah, 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 but also yeah. the fans – you know, it's a nice day, and I think it. Right, you look at it past that. And, you know, if you somehow beat Chelsea two to one, does that make MLS a better league than the Premier League? Of course not. But you know, no, it, it, it makes the Red Bulls the champions of England. Is what it makes them. Well, clearly, I mean, right. <laughs> um, uh, let, let's just go here, and then uh, we'll get you on your way. And thank you so much for uh, for sharing some time and your thoughts with us. Um, you have a prediction for Sunday night at Red Bull Arena? Uh, probably, well, given the way that results have gone, probably, let's say 2-1. Let's say they may, Red Bulls win 2-1 because, frankly, they're a better team and near NYCFC has to score a goal at some point, so why not Sunday? So. Does this game mean more if the Red Bulls win or does it mean more if NYC wins? Uh, uh, you know, I don't think one game hurts anybody. All the tickets have been sold, whatever. If they beat you three nothing and then beat you three nothing up there, then that's a problem, you know. And and the other way around, if if you win, if you win big both games, it's kind of a statement. But there's still an expansion team. Yes, um, it's it's local pride, you know. We're doing a, a package for this weekend about derbies <clears throat> and stuff. And and and, and are you mentioning this one? I'm just curious. <laughs> it may it may get flagged actually actually. Uh, no, it's good. We we talked to a couple guys, and Sasha told me a tremendous uh, Jesse Marsh story. So, um, uh, which will be in there. So uh, we'll probably put it online tomorrow. How's that for a little teaser? And then uh, there you run. go. But by the it'll be live by the time they hear this. I know they're they're racing. So oh, um, yeah. Well, we better hustle then. So there you go. You're on deadline. Andrew Doss uh, writes about soccer for the New York Times, a small community newspaper based in Manhattan. Andrew, good fight. <laughs> we appreciate the fight that you fight, Andrew. We know very well uh, the challenges um, in terms of regular coverage of both of these teams, and we very much appreciate your efforts in making sure that these uh, teams uh, get some awareness inside the building. Uh, Andrew Doss, ladies and gentlemen, when we're back on Seeing Red, we have your emails and thoughts on Sunday's Derby. We're back after this break. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup, Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, seeingredny.com. Get on the bandwagon. This is a good team, folks, and it's going to be an exciting game this weekend. Fourth segment, or last segment, is all about you. Emails to seeingredny at gmail.com. Here's Derby. Derby Thomas. Dear almighty givers of sweet podcasting known as Voltron. Can you feel it? It's the inevitable backlash at the first glimpse of the Red Bull's frenzied start coming to an end. 
I've seen it in my Twitter timeline in the form of, we deserve to lose against Colorado. And it's coming from the team in the form of, we know we can play better. These concerns are valid. There was an excellent caller in the past week concerned about our passing accuracy and with the increased number and speed of our passes. I think it'll be some time before our team clicks and really puts it together as a unit. But there's a bigger concern looming in the back of my head, and that is, that is, can this team keep up high tempo and high press for the entirety of a brutal MLS season? I think there's a reason that Petke's team's caught on late in the season as other teams slow down. We saved ourselves for the stretch run. I'm really worried that we're going to do the opposite now, and in September, the injuries and fatigue will do us in for an early exit. Are you guys worried about this? Can you give me evidence like other teams that have pulled this off? I shouldn't be worried. Thanks, Derby. Well, we've certainly seen that possession has not exactly um, equaled goals. Over the last three games, the team's only scored a goal a game. So are these guys running themselves into the ground, and will they run themselves into the ground over the course of the summer? I don't think they've run themselves into the ground yet. Um, you know, I think if you have a three-game week, I mean, we've been through this for years and years and years. You get these three-game weeks, they're tough. They're, yeah. You know, you will get tired legs from those, but you also get randomly placed bye weeks and, you know, weird multi-away game travel. You know, the, the, the league schedule is not, as Thierry Henry once famously put it, home away, home away. That's it's, right. It's right. whatever somebody in Midtown Manhattan feels like putting together um, at the start of the year. So I, I don't think they're run down now. I think the risk with the, the high-tempo play is not that the team's just going to be exhausted by the end of the year. Again, we had that problem 2014, 2013, where the team you know hit the summer slump, and everybody was like, why are they so exhausted? What's going on here? And you know they weren't playing high-tempo under Petke, certainly. Um, but I think what, what playing that speed does is increases the risk for injury. And I think that as the season goes on, I mean, th- this team has been very lucky so far not to have picked up a bunch of injury bugs outside of Zubar's perpetual absence and Roy Miller taking him out in the first week. Um, you know, now that we have Zizo out, well, you know, it's, it's starting to become a little bit more of an injury concern, but it's nothing compared to what NYCFC has been dealing with where you've got five or six guys constantly rotating through the injury list and you can't get a a solid starting 11 together. So I don't think it'll be that they get any more rundown than we've seen in past years. I think it will just be increased injuries and and things may stack up. But we'll see. Uh, You know, especially as two very important offensive players, Sam and BWP, are on the wrong side, sorry guys, of 30, especially where we're talking about playing at Orlando, when are we playing at Orlando? On July 18th. I mean, that's going to be... It's going to be rainy and 50 degrees, Mark. It's going to be a beautiful game. It's going to be a scorcher. So I I think the concerns are very valid. I also agree with Dan Derby that it's too soon, or should I call you Darby, that the concerns are too soon uh, to really um, note. Although the team does play four of their last six games at home, uh, they only have to go to Toronto and Chicago as of mid to late September. Portland is their last big home game, sorry, big road game, and that's September 20th, and the rest of that is short trips. So the, you know, the schedule makers are doing a little bit to help New York after that. 
Here's Carlos Fuentes, who says, Greeting Voltron Vernick Daycare. Well played. Mm-hmm. Now that we've lost our first game, I'm sure the criticisms on March can commence. By the way, Jesse's been pretty uh, uh, resistant to any sort of any sort of uh, challenge by the fans. We do know that there are New York Blue fans that are already calling for Christ's head, by the way. So just putting that in perspective. <laughs> I think he's done a great job in the first two months of the season, says Carlos. My question after the loss is this. Based off the performance and almost immediate improvement in play when BWP and Sam came into the game, wouldn't it have been more prudent to rest them against Colorado, against a lesser opponent, three days after a previous game, than break out this change lineup against New England, who is far superior? An interesting question of lineup and tactics from Carlos. Mm. I think you can definitely... I, I definitely see the logic. The other, the other piece is you're playing at home, and you know the history, and you know that it's been very difficult to break down and win at New England, of course, as the team found out at the end of last year. Uh, New England had, a, had the rest, and they were playing well. It was also a conference game versus a non-conference game, the third game in seven days. Colorado, I, I think given uh, Colorado's lack of frequency of giving up goals, it wasn't necessarily the wrong move to play your top offensive threats there. And obviously Bradley Wright Phillips had the penalty goal against Colorado. It's, it's an interesting question. Dan, any thoughts? Um, I think you made a lot of good points, Mark. And I think Colorado's record was you know, doing them a disservice because they went into Dallas a few weeks ago and ripped up what was the hottest team in the league at the time. Um, right. you know, and if you go back and watch that game, they, they were very dangerous. They came cl- They probably should have had a penalty or two. Um, they certainly should have scored more than they did. Um, so I, I, you know, I think if you have to take the choice between the home game and the road game, take the, take what should have been the easy points at home rather than, you know, hoping you're going to get a result in new England. Let's remember up until last year, this right. team hadn't won in New England in a decade, and it's more than a decade. And, you know, it's yeah. not like doing that suddenly means you're going to win every game. So, um, I, I I can certainly see it because Colorado was perceived as being weaker, um, but ultimately, you know, the, the rotation. I, I don't have a real issue with it. Yeah, all right, but, but nevertheless, a good question. Here's Chris Cloco who asks. What's your priority for new signings during the summer window now that Ziz is at two, three months? And we talked a little bit about this during our first segment. I've got left mid, striker, and right back in that order. I also could be talked into throwing Sasha out on the left and signing a central attacking mid. Of course, the notion of Kevin Prince Botang coming to the team would certainly indicate that might be the case. Uh, Dan, are there other uh, glaring places that New York should be looking in the transfer window? I would like to see another center back with Zubar being perpetually injured. Um, especially after watching that Colorado game where, you know, there was a foot race with... A uh, couple of foot yeah, races. Yeah, with the, the guy who was playing up top of the Colorado envoy. on his name, unfortunately. Yeah, Baji. Baji. And Damian Perinot, he started, you know, a couple of yards behind him and ended yes. up in front of him by the time <laughs> they had raced down to the box. That's not a good look. So um, a, a speedy center back who can, you know, somebody like an Olave, but maybe yep. not... Thomas and Olave, um, would probably mm-hmm. be a good addition if uh, Zubar can't get back to full health. I, I don't, Zubar, again, the best 77-minute performance <laughs> in New York history. Um, 
of his 77-minute career. Now, they're saying that Zuba is ready for this week, for reals. Not just kidding. I don't know your thoughts on that. Uh, I, I don't get to go to practice as much as I'd like. Uh, I, I will believe it when I see his name on the lineup. Okay. Uh, I think, obviously, a second-quality striker to play next to Bradley would be fantastic. Um, I, I'm not completely down on this uh, dif- uh, on the on the wingbacks. I think Lawrence has done well. I think our guest tonight, Chris Duval, is acquitting himself well. If Laid plays himself into a platoon, I think that could be okay. Remember, folks, this team has only conce- – they, they have two shutouts. They've held opponents to three goals. Uh, excuse me. They've held opponents to a single goal – Four times, only twice against D.C. and New England have they conceded two goals in the game. You'd certainly like to see more shutouts. Um, I think the reason that New York has had a tough week is not because of the defense. I think it's because the lack of finishing skill uh, by the players on the other end of the field. But thank you, Chris, for your email. <clears throat> Last email of the night, a little bit of a long one. Settle in, relax. It's upstate Mike DiOrio who writes... Hello there, my brethren in this world of suffering that is sometimes New York, New Jersey soccer. Hmm. I've got to say, I'm not as broken up about this loss as I would have imagined. Certainly it was a frustrating game to watch at times, but I'd like to think that in that mire of hopeless crosses to the top, there was some decent play going on. And I would definitely agree with Michael. Connor Laid had a rough start, or so I thought, but I really liked what I saw from him after about the 10-minute mark. Defensively, he had some issues, but at times going forward, I liked his creativity and hold-up play. Miazga has the unfortunate role of playing as the veteran, in quotes, center back with We Met, which is kind of funny when you think about it, and completely right um, by, by Mike here. Neither of the two had a fantastic game, but I'm loving watching Miazga's progression every week. Grella up top is making me think that maybe a bong might not have much of a role moving forward. There's a Grella fan. Let's be honest here for a minute, though. I don't think any of us expected the team to get off such a great start this year. Sure, we dropped some points by drawing games, but I'll always take that over a loss. The team has issues for sure, like the current and somewhat familiar trend of giving up an early goal against the run of play. We also probably couldn't score in a brothel at the moment, although Sasha's goal was fantastic. The loss had to come at some point, and I think a lot of us expected it to be against the Revs. I question why Jesse didn't play this lineup at midweek out of conference game against Colorado. Again, the same, uh, the same question. But I'm happy to see him resting some guys and giving the youngins a chance regardless. We've seen this team come out of the gates and overrun over other teams. Uh, we've seen them come back from being two goals down to salvage a point, and now we've seen them lose a game. Granted, they went out with primarily a B squad. Not to knock anyone, but a loss is a loss. Now we get to see how they bounce back from this. I'm excited because I have faith in Jesse and the guys to dust themselves off, stay focused, and continue to play for each other and for us. Also, that ref totally sucked. Thanks and keep up the great work, Upstate Mike. I don't know if there was a question in there, but Mike, uh, but this certainly seems to be a level-headed Red Bulls fan. Uh, I'm shocked. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> And it's a lot of good points, and you know, I I think it's it's good that people are keeping perspective after the streak ends. Um, but you have to wonder what's going to happen if that that what was an unbeaten streak turns into a bad win, winless streak uh, very rapidly. Yep. Well, is three goals enough to be a bad winless streak? I'll ask the question. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not when all the games are happening in such rapid succession, no. right? Just to, to level set and talk about the next couple of games, the rest of May, home, away, 
home away. New York plays the other guys who call themselves New York this Sunday, obviously, Red Bull Arena. Then next Friday night in Dallas at FCD, and that will be a tough assignment for sure. I'm very, very pleased. I'll be making my first trip to Toyota Stadium for that game. Then a home game on Labor Day, uh, Memorial Day weekend, excuse me, against an atrocious Philadelphia team, and then a trip out to Seattle. So the home games seem to be against inferior opponents, and the road games seem to be against very tough opponents. Uh, but this is what this is, folks. And uh, these are the challenges that we're going to have to face, which makes getting three points on Sunday night all the more reason to... Uh, all the mo- more much of an imperative, regardless of the opponent that we're playing. So, any, f- any closing thoughts, sir? I'm looking forward to Sunday. The press box is sold out, if you can have a sold-out press box. I know they're going to the auxiliary press box. I'm, I'm, I, I feel bad for the poor schmoes that are sitting out in the, the crowd with the regular uh, un- unwashed. I, I think they said it's going to be on the broadcast deck where uh, the MSG oh, game stuff okay. always happens. But well, the, still. Oh, go- still. Up with the yes. rabble. <laughs> Dan Dickinson calls the match a 3-2 win over New York City Football Club. I will call it a 3-1 win, which will be so much better looking in all of the paper, radio, and television reports that will inevitably follow after this match. For Dan Dickinson, Chris Duval, Andrew Doss, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red. Wear your red on Sunday, and we'll be back next week. Good night, everybody. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.